Hello and welcome to season four of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling more confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TVD Conference. The theme this season is the real future of work. What's really going on with the world of work under the hood? What's changing? What's not being said? We're checking assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also the future. I spoke with an amazing array of people from Dan Pink to Harvard University professors, TikTok superstars, data specialists and generational experts, all live on Twitter spaces. What follows is a recording of that space, so it's more conference call than podcast booth. Sponsors are incredibly important to me, and I am proud to say Ecology are back, and they planted a tree for every live listener we had. We're over 15,000 trees in the TBD forest now, and you can start planting your own over at ecology.com. That's spelled E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com. Workplace by Meta also came on board this season. Their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways and whatever you bring to work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com forward slash human. Check it out. It's very, very cool indeed. Make sure you never miss a moment of Mouthwash by signing up for the newsletter over at mouthwashshow.com. And you can also get a text alert over at mouthwash.norby.live. Very handy for busy people. Check out all those links in the description too. As with all good podcasts, please share it on a network you trust and leave us a review. It really does make a difference. Please enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to season four of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator and curator of TBD Conference. The conference attendees say is like Ted without the bullshit. We're flipping it up this season. We're live Tuesdays through Thursday. Don't worry, you get the same amount of mouthwash. We're just spreading it over the middle of the week. Um, it's a reflection of the times and changing world of work, which is our theme for this season of mouthwash, the real future of work. Uh, this season, we're exploring what's working, what's not. We're checking our assumptions, checking in on ourselves and also checking the future. I want to know what's really going on under the surface, where it's all going and how we're going to get there. I have an amazing cohort of people joining me this season from multiple best-selling authors like Dan Pink to brand new startups who are creating new models for the metaverse. I'm also discussing the future with experts from Harvard University, behavioral psychologists to TikTok superstars. Check out the full lineup and previous episodes over at mouthwashshow.com. And I'm proud to say we're sponsored again this season, this time by the folks at Workplace by Meta. Whatever you bring to the work to help you be you, Workplace celebrates it. Their familiar features help everyone work together in new ways. And to make your place of work a great place of work, you just visit workplace.com forward slash human. That's workplace.com forward slash human. Check it out. It's very cool indeed. Um, Ecology are also back. They plant a tree for every live listener in the TBD forest that we get in space. Uh, we're over 15,000 trees at the moment, so we're doing pretty well. If you're looking to reduce uh, all your business's carbon footprint, uh, head over to ecology.com and you can start planting your forest. They're very cool, so they spell it weirdly. It's E-C-O-L-O-G-I dot com. E-C-O-L-O-G-I.com. Um, for those in the live Twitter space, it's a great time to share the space. Please click the round blue plus button in the bottom right hand side and let the people know you found something good. Everyone you get into the space means another tree in the world and that is no bad thing um if you want to ask a question as well just dm me or use the mouthwash show hashtag and we'll pick it up from there people in the live space they can click the hashtag now in the titles and that takes you straight through so even less typing to do joining me tonight uh, from just outside london is jake ward business development director for groovy gecko one of the world's top video companies who specialize in live production streaming management corporate solutions bespoke platform development they do the lot they also help bring tbd to more people thanks to their live streaming uh, capabilities uh, doing the last two virtually was a real challenge for me professionally to sort of book those people and they made it absolutely sterlingly simple um but they've also recorded every tbd conference thus far so i know them pretty well so i thought very very good people to have here 
Jake's role really pushes the company into new areas and explores the opportunities in different territories. Clients range from everyone, Meta, Amazon, uh, Lego, Universal Music, gaming platforms, governments. They've done they've done a lot. He's an expert in what's possible, where things are going, and he should. He's worked in the industry for more than 20 years, after all, but he's still a spring chicken. Um, I've known Jake since my media agency days, uh, when live social commerce was a pipe dream and not the day-to-day -day on TikTok. So I'm interested to see where the future of uh, events is going. Um, welcome to Mouthwash, Jake. What did I miss out of your bio? Oh, I think that was a pretty good call where I can't miss anything out. Uh, you didn't miss anything out. I think, uh, oh, I think my previous life at the FT, where I used to be the new media editor, perhaps. But there was also, um, I'll take spring chicken any day of the week in my uh, bio description. <laughs> I thought we'd like that. Um, okay, now, what was the first thing when you thought of when you woke up today? Oh, uh, oh, this sounds very highbrow, but physics. So my daughter has just gone to secondary school. I am helping her with her physics. I am suddenly realising how much physics I have actually forgotten. So I literally am waking up at the moment um, thinking, oh, what kind of light wave is that? And things and, and various weird calculations. So, yeah, physics is all-encompassing at the moment. Hey, I've had I've had a lot of different ones over the years. That's that's one of the more, more normal ones for sure. Um, so this season's all about the future of work. What's your current situation when it comes to work? Um, I think you're remote, but are you going back to the office now, or have you? Uh, do you always plan to sort of be remote? Uh, no, we we went through a big transition. Obviously, we were we were a live events company at the beginning of the pandemic. I had two engineers who brilliantly allowed us to keep operating in April 2020, and kind of disproved any of our doubts that we uh, we had to be there to deliver the events. Uh, we've kind of gone back to two or three days a week. Um, so I'm in, I'm in, I was in town today, for example. So I'm doing kind of Tuesdays and Thursdays. But interestingly, I think from a sociological point of view i'm spending more time in other people's offices than i am my own i think the need for everybody to see people face to face uh, is very prevalent at the moment oh good we're gonna get on to that a little bit later um just sticking with the pandemic for a second um personally or professionally speaking what's been your biggest learning over the last two or three years i think i think i've got two learnings personally um I've realised, you know, once once my daughter and my wife went back to school in some form and I was still at home working away, that I'm very happy with my own company and that's a really good place to be. I'm very happy to be on my own and, and sit and just, you know, work and watch the world go by. So I think that was a, an interesting thing to discover. Um, and the other thing I think was... We we always thought this, but professionally, I think some of the, the things we do, we realise is great content or we realise we're entertaining an audience or engaging people. But generally, some of the feedback we've had over the pandemic has proved it's not just about keeping people entertained. Sometimes the these things that we do, particularly around entertainment, some of the stuff we did were real lifelines for people during the pandemic. And that also bleeds into making them accessible to whole new audiences. So we have been doing a lot more accessibility work on everything we do. And it's really interesting how that's making the audience more diverse, both geographically and, and just in general. And, and I think that's a really interesting thing to discover that what you hope to make a difference really did. But also you can push that and, and get to a much wider audience. Yeah, no, definitely. I've definitely seen some numbers recently, which are very encouraging. I, I'm, and we'll talk about it a bit later, but I want to see where everything's going. But give us a sense of where the streaming market is right now when it comes to events in the world of work. Obviously, there's a lot more Zoom going on, right? Um, but give us a snapshot of where things are roughly. 
Yeah, I, th I think it's really interesting because what happened over the pandemic was people got very used to things like Zoom and that almost gave us sort of turbocharged what we do. You know, the idea of, of everybody understanding how a Zoom call works and being able to see and hear each other has kind of built a level of knowledge and understanding in, in the general population about what can be done. So I think what, what that's kind of led to is people beginning to reconsider how they work and therefore that's making them reconsider how they engage with events. So I think at the moment we have a massive surge where we are kind of back to normal in, in the UK um, where people, there's a big thirst for live events, live, real world, going, going to a show, going to a exhibition space, going to a few keynotes and really engaging with people. I think what we've, kind of what we'll see is actually all the uh, and there are great things about being face to face I, I absolutely believe that but i think all the things that were actually a pain about that which virtual events can help with like traveling the amount of time people with physical disabilities who can't get there people with audio and, and visual disabilities who can't see or can't hear or can't participate i think we'll see much more of a balance i think we were very virtual we swung back to kind of the pendulum swung back to live events and i think six nine months time we'll settle somewhere in the middle where we're trying to deliver something for the live audience but also deliver to a, a potentially a much bigger audience online Mm -hmm. what, what do you think of the issues out there right now for people? We've been doing this new world for three years or so. As you've just said, we think we're going to get a sort of pendulum swing back. I've seen events where people have got three people in the room and they were expecting 300. And I've seen people who were you know, drastically surprised with how many people came to their event, you know, from low turnout um, expectations. Online, it does seem to be burgeoning, but it's changing behaviours, it seems, and that sort of stuff from expecting information to be free uh, all the way through to like you say saving money on you know venues and that sort of stuff what are the issues out there right now when it comes to doing virtual events or physical ones yeah i think so there's a big question over carbon footprint i think that's always been prevalent you know particularly with internal comms am i going to fly 500 senior managers to a location somewhere where they aren't so massive cost massive carbon footprint you know can we do that better um, i think i think on the reverse side of kind of and, and as you say physical events are really difficult to judge at the moment i i went to a show last week where i was exhibiting footfall was massive compared to previous years conversations were really good really nice to be back into space but i have been to events where it's like a ghost town so I, I, I think there's some issue around judging where you sit in that market for, for live events people and judging how many people actually want to turn up on that day to you. I think we'll reach a, a peak where there is a either higher value or more engaged audience that's maybe smaller than normal and they're sitting in the room. And with hybrid, you've then got your mass audience online because yeah they, they they can't commit that kind of time uh, but it's also about a value proposition for me what am i getting out of a virtual event and what am i getting out of a live event live event excels at the face-to-face -face, the happy accident mm. of bumping into somebody you know reconnecting having a conversation on a stand or after a keynote and i think the more we can do to blur that line so there are yeah because there are advantages to both the better it will be so I think it's about kind of what can you replicate in the digital world that engages in that in that kind of way. So um, 
yeah, some of the things we've been looking at is uh, yeah, the, the great classic on, on a live show is a keynote happens, the speaker comes off the stage and he's mobbed by 10 or 12 people who all have questions for him as he leaves the stage. Great. But what we've begun to do is kind of like, so they do that. There's a, there's a live invited audience. But then he might say, I'm going to join a virtual room for the digital audience. Um, I'll take your questions for 15 minutes after that. I'll be there in 10 minutes. So you're trying to narrow the gap and, and make more accessible everything you have in a live show, show in a digital space. Yeah, it's interesting. I want to talk about value and sort of people's expectations a little bit later. But let's start with some positive stuff as well. What's impressing you out there? What have you seen that's sort of knocked your socks off with people who have done things differently or who are just thinking differently? Um, I think it's about being able to deliver you know, in the in the live event space. It's really playing to that experiential piece and really delivering something that you can't easily replicate online um despite what thousands of metaverse consultants will tell you but but that kind of idea of generating something that does feel unique to the audience that's that's in there and that could be that could be simple experiential stuff but it's you know i saw something recently which was a, a kind of exhibition of a soundscape which you couldn't replicate online and, and was was kind of as you were walking through the center of it gave you a really different sense of the space that's mm. very difficult to do online whereas i i think on the on the other side on on the sort of uh digital space it's about playing to digital strengths what can you easily do in the in the digital world that you can't necessarily do in the real world and that's about connecting people over much wider geographies it's about giving people their own route through content so what i mean by that is these people you've invited to your event you probably understand something about them you know what company they work for maybe their job title some of the things they're interested in so if you've got a plethora of of live content so you know four or five strands in different theaters and you can combine that with archival content, so maybe shows overseas they wouldn't have seen, or or little snippets of interviews that you've captured, and then you can begin to recommend to them what they should be watching. So if they look at their agenda for the day, you know they want to see the two keynotes, but actually you can make some suggestions about how they spend their 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock segment. And that might be archival stuff, it might be new stuff, it might be lectures it might be more workshop style uh, sessions and i think this ability to genuinely customize an event is really interesting uh, we did something uh, last year where we had thirty thousand users on an event over a three-day period and the there was five strands of live content there was an archive of about 50 uh, pieces of content as well that they could drop into their agenda. There were workshops, there were meetings, there were networking sessions. And we had 30,000 different journeys through that content. So it was assemble your own agenda and not a single person picked the same stuff. So we, you know, we talk grandly about in marketing for ages and ages about this kind of idea of personalization it's never really worked, let's be honest. It's never been done mm. data at scale. But by giving users tools and making it easy for them if they don't want to engage in that way or easy for them to assemble their own agenda, I think that's one of the strengths of, of digital. Um, so what, you know, what, and it's what, a bit like the real world where you pick where you go in a live event. 
so was, just so I've got it in my head, was the event live and they could pick like who they listened to in real time or was it sort of choose your own adventure, but they were pre-recorded? No, it was a mixture. So it was a, ah, an, archive, okay. an archive of on-demand content. So yeah, choose your own adventure pick who, and then five strands for, uh, it went around the world. So it was APAC for eight hours, uh, EMEA for eight hours and North, uh, North America for eight hours. So you could pick and choose when you wanted to view that, where you were in the world uh, and which languages you wanted to see that in. So all content mm. was translated into five different languages. Damn. Um, you used the word earlier and replicate. And I see a lot of events where I've, I've been sort of not bombarded, but I just think asking for 60 minutes of someone's attention on Zoom, especially when it's not particularly well practiced or anything like that, is a lot for people. Have you seen anyone out there uh, doing things differently, like new formats for presentations that are sort of working? Where do you think the sort of format for for events is sort of going is it all round tables and smaller groups or you know what, what are you seeing I, I think it's shorter sharper presentations i've, I've seen a, a few events where it's you only have 15 or 20 minutes and that and that hour is divided between three people all mm. taking different views on the same topic and people uh people although being very british there is a temptation to sit there people do ebb and flow in and out as different speakers come up so i think a, yeah. a focus and and i think i think there's something around also about the value exchange with people about how are you making the case that i should sit in this lecture or watch this zoom session or this, this live stream for 60 minutes that's a hard ask i think these days I think what people are more looking to do is how can I make this session genuinely interactive? And that could be, you know, for a, for a round table, that might be, I'd like you to vote on what the round table should talk about. Yeah. We're going to cover all these topics, but you people out there and you people in the room, you can all vote. What here are five things we could talk about. What are you most interested in and reconfigure the session as we go? That's um, nice. I, I like that. Yeah. I, I was, um, I had someone who um, had a two-day event, and they did something really bold. Where they, it was, it was, uh, we didn't have a session for the last session of the second day, so it wasn't defined. So at the end of the first day, the host, who was the host of the live stream, made a big deal of please fill out your feedback because your feedback will dictate what we do at four o'clock tomorrow. Mm. So there was a section that said, "What did we miss?" And we had a, a wealth of kind of experts. And so there, that data was analysed overnight and we spotted two or three key topics which people thought hadn't been covered. So we, they assembled a panel of three or four people and they had that discussion about those three topics. And I like that kind of idea of giving power back to the, the viewer. Mm. Now, that can be the viewer in the room, that can be the viewer online, but the idea that kind of I press a button here on my phone or on my computer and I'm changing what they're talking about. I like that. I mean, that's stressful for people organizing, but at the mm. same time, you know, it means you've got to know your content and that sort of stuff and audience. Um, no, I like it. I, I've not, I've not seen a lot of variation. I think people sort of, and I think we're in desperate need of it. Um, to, to be honest, the economist did a good, um, uh, a good event the other day they basically had three people um fighting for their version of what was going to happen in the future and then we had to vote on which one we thought and then they got to expand on it and that sort of thing so it was kind of interesting um but yeah i think the voting 
can only go so far with it, but definitely sort of adds to it. I'm I'm always interested in knowledge transfer, right? So how are people getting it across? Um, is it because of clear slides? Is it because they're entertaining or engaging? Or is it just because they didn't know anything to start with about that topic? And I think those things are forgotten when it's sort of um, live or sort of those events are sort of happening online. Um, my other thing I, I sort of want to talk about is the on-demand element of events. So much is obviously being generated at the moment and live, like you say, is an ask of people to sort of tune in live and sort of do it. You almost have to create two versions of it, something that almost isn't uh, going to be put out on the recording. Um, do you think that's sort of fair to say is on demand the issue here for like not getting numbers or, you know, uh, do you think live events are suffering because they put content out there afterwards? Yeah, I think it's a very interesting one. I, I think I think for live, you have to make the case for why you're live. And and yeah. simply you can hear me lecture you for 45 minutes is not sufficient to do that. I think it is about I'll take your questions, I'll alter my content as I go. All that interaction is really important to sell the live. But also we find that um, live versus on demand generally, and I'm talking across a, a massive amount of corporate comms, 40% of your audience will be on the live and 60 will be on your on demand kind of long tail. But if you make that 40% higher by attracting more people to live, guess what? Your on-demand viewing figures will also be higher. So I think there is definitely a, uh, a, a, a with, with clients who are experienced at doing this, have done a lot of webcasting, you know, pre-pandemic, really comfortable with the format. We are seeing things where they will do a cut-down version of the live. So, you know, the live presentation might be 60 minutes and you'll get a, 35 minute cut for the on-demand where they just extract everything that isn't needed for the on-demand viewer you know no point showing them interactivity they can't interact with so so kind of trying to make it more bite-sized make it more casual because if your audience has turned up for live they are engaged and they are not casual and if they're turning up considerably later they've maybe found you on search they forgot about when the thing was three weeks ago and they've sort of thought oh, i should bring have a look at that so you've got to make it smoother for them to consume so bite-sized broken up in more in more ways ability to jump around sometimes in the presentation to go you know i really want to see this segment here so can i jump straight to that please Mm, definitely I, yeah it's it's a tough one because obviously as a curator you want everybody to sort of experience the whole if that makes sense mm -hmm. but then the realities of that just and daily life at the moment doesn't seem to sort of fit it i'm interested to think does do conferences sort of go the way of podcasts where essentially sort of you have to break it up and then regurgitate it and maybe it becomes a, a, a series or something like that in which case the, the reason for having conferences, which is at its heart either networking or uh, knowledge transfer, that was that the main historical reasons. Do we get a third one, which is sort of like community, you know, for people just to sort of, you know, once again, find information and sort of like minded people. I mean, I'm interested to sort of see where it all goes. I think one of the issues and you mentioned it not issues opportunities is personalization um let's talk about that for a moment um i think a lot of the platforms out there offer it um it's usually at a premium you know and some premiums mm -hmm. it mean you've got a beautiful background color choice of whatever hex code you want others <laughs> are they'll make you a, an all singing all dancing one um both are fine you know capitalist society and all that and that sort of thing w what do you see that's working do the bells and whistles sort of help people sell more or is it just sort of a gimmick i've seen really interesting stuff on hopping but done spectacularly badly 
I've seen really interesting apps that you can add on Zoom that add a sort of another dimension to things. Nothing seems to be easy or cheap out there, which is two sides of a great triangle, I hear. But what, what's your sort of um, what do you take on like what's working? yeah i think it's a i think it's a difficult one because i think the the kind of personalization and the the adding another dimension to these things is tricky one i think because every time you introduce something new you uh, immediately alienate a section of your audience who goes i don't want anything new thanks um i work on a on a live that is where the demographic is evenly divided i won't say who it is between people in their mid to late 20s and the other audience is people over 60 Oof. and we introduced some new tech so they could uh, as part of this conference they could engage with each other they could talk to each other um it was a kind of spatial audio element so you appear as a little video icon you can wander around and talk to people and engage with some of the speakers when we got feedback on the first day the younger audience said oh my god this is amazing this is just what we need I, I, you know, and this was a completely virtual event i've bumped into people i've had those conversations where i've networked with this person it's amazing the 60 year olds said quite frankly on the feedback i'm too old for this shit um and the, <laughs> the, and so we proactively overnight kind of ring fence them and said right we need to have a bit of a charm offensive about why they should do it so we found younger people who were part of their organization and said can you just talk to a few of them about the value you've got and by the second day we had about 60 percent of them using that element of it but there was such a huge barrier to entry for them so as we got them on it they were kind of like oh this is a bit like starting a zoom and they they got it very very quickly because it's simply explained but the actual inertia was huge and i think my fear for for some of these bolt-ons and addition apps is every time you add one of those on the user journey becomes more complex it's difficult to sometimes validate the value add on it and people go oh yeah that's just another thing i don't want to try you know we would have said the same thing two years ago about zoom where most people have got what talk video chat how's that going to work but I, I i think it's a it's that kind of barrier to entry thing i think i think some of the things that are are the simplest things that work really well it's those kind of visual elements that kind of go oh, I get this now. I can, you know, I can uh, play around with their slides. I can save them to my phone. I think those really simple apps and things like that that kind of tie in. Um, I think also the word app fills me full of dread. <laughs> okay. So any, anything, anything event-based where you have, a live event-based where you have to download an app just makes me go, oh God, why can't I just scan a QR code and use it in my browser? Yeah, why am I going to download an app that sits on my phone for the next six months until I delete it going, why the hell have I got that on my phone? <laughs> so I, I, I think that's another barrier to entry. It's kind of like, please download me and you'll use me once and then forget I was ever used again. Uh, yes, I've been there and I've seen those apps and they look great. And sort of you go on there, you go, I think this is just there to suck data, you know, and see where I've walked yeah. and so that they can prove that the vendors have had so much footfall and that sort of thing, which is, you know, data's data at the end of the day. It's what you do with it, isn't it, usually? Um, so let's talk about sort of loftier things for a sec. Do you think there's too much effort being put onto creating the illusion of connection at sort of these online events? 
a lot of people go to for for that you know that's the thing but do real world events and online ones need a rethink when it comes to connection in a post-pandemic world yeah i think i think we're finding our way with that and i think we shouldn't fool ourselves that digital is going to be the same as real world and real world is going to be the same as digital they both have their pros and cons i think i think you know beauty beauty about digital is if i need to find paul armstrong i can easily go and find paul armstrong he'll be somewhere on a chat or a, a networking session or something like that if i need to find you at a big show unless i've got your mobile phone number and go can i buy you a coffee it isn't happening so i think there are pros and cons to both i think i think there is time for a real rethink from from all events people actually i think about what is the nature of my life where's the value what is the nature of my digital offering where's the value how do i connect those two together or do i keep them entirely separate and that how do i rethink where the value is particularly for things like sponsors um you know the the the, the terrifying thing of sort of um april may 2020 is when we were gearing up to turn events digital the conversation would go something like this okay so you've got 14 sponsors what value do the sponsors get from the the show from exhibiting or, or having their name on a banner and the answer from a lot of events people was well they've got their name on a banner <laughs> it's like that's yeah but we're digital now we, we can have a data trail we can say who downloaded their content who looked at their video who engaged in their session and they're like oh yeah that, that's that'd be nice and and the inability to kind of define what some of those value that sponsors get out of events was actually quite scary and i think that whole ecosystem had a bit of a shake and now you know if you look at sponsors they're going okay what data am i going to get what am i going to know about you know i still get um emails from real world events that say sorry we missed you when i was there for two days mm. and i've been scanned in and out 14 times how how tricky it is is it to use that data to have a more coherent conversation? And I think sometimes it's the simple things that aren't being done well when it comes to the data and the capture. Yeah, and sometimes it's just clear that there's no sort of sense have been added to sort of why they've done things. My favourite was I went to an event, um, it was about digital marketing, obviously, because um, <laughs> they all are in some way, shape or form. And then it was like, right, go and have lunch. But instead of having lunch on your own and just like thinking about what happened, you get to um, hit the roulette button and you get to have lunch with some random that you'd never known. And that's the thing. Some people, obviously, that was amazing and best best thing that's happened that year. Other people, obviously, that was a, a nightmare scenario for them. But I did think it was kind of interesting. It sort of added that serendipity back because you could just you know be at the lunch queue and find anyone but then at the same time i guess there's a positive you might find a good connection but the likelihood is probably lower because there was no rhyme or reason it was just literally hit the random button which i thought was a bold move but kind of interesting do you think no i i had a client who wanted to try that virtually actually so you would have you would you would join a kind of um a topic area and you'd be put randomly into a group with other people who joined that topic area um, and, and didn't go through with it at the end, but we thought it was intriguing if you could define the topic area well enough so you knew you were going to be with people who shared very similar yeah. problems or views. And so I think there is some strength in, in, in some sort of random element because that's what you get in real life. You 
bump into random people you know number of times i've been on a stand asking someone on their stand i've got this problem and someone behind me has gone i've got this problem as well do you have a you know and we begin to trade stories about why we both have a similar problem and he may have solved some of it and i may have solved some of it and i, I think those those things are are difficult to replicate digitally without some kind of random factor in there yeah, it's interesting. It's um, it's definitely one where if you add a bit of sense into it, like a bit of machine learning or a bit of you know tagging and that sort of stuff, you can actually take the odds of it being a good thing quite up quite dramatically. You know, so I, I think more people should do it. But the whole sort of lunch club element, it depends on who's going. That's that's the answer to that question, really. Yeah, you, know, you can say that you're getting the CEO of Coke and that sort of stuff going, and if he's not there, then or you know, not sort of uh, in in the luck, as they say, but. Um, I'm I'm interested what sort of events online and offline do post pandemic for sort of like use cases. Do you think they're going to develop sort of new ones like bit of knowledge, bit of dating? Do you think they'll be sort of changing how they operate before it was like network uh, knowledge and networking, and now it'll be sort of like knowledge and a bit of lifestyle, a bit of human, a bit of something like that? Or do you think they're just going to stay the same? Yeah, I think there is an inherent factor in the real world events of seeing people in the real world at the moment and i think that will continue to a certain degree you know ultimately people buy from people they don't really buy from big corporates i genuinely believe that they you know they make some connection some human connection even if it's a false one for advertising or through advertising mm. or otherwise but i i think there's generally i think there's lots of people who are looking at the scale of their events and the way they're structured and who's invited uh, and, you know, somewhere in the background, there is a, a big, loud voice screaming, all going to be in the metaverse in six months, which obviously isn't true, but is on people's minds about what to virtual event, you know, truly kind of VR events and AR events look like. But I, I think one of the interesting things is events that have been stalwarts of particular industries for decades so look at things like car shows why do car shows still exist as as a you know if i if i'm running marketing at bmw why does a car show i go to i go to the geneva car show i launch a new car so do three of my rivals i fight for uh you know share a voice i fight to be the best one but i have a vague idea of what they're going to release and whether i actually will be and and to me there's some big events like that which I just can't see surviving. Once you run the rule over them, I think they'll have to radically change their form and their kind of value proposition for consumers and people attending to to ever make ever make it and survive. You know, in the video game industry, E3 looks like it's gone that way that it probably will mm. not come back. And I think there's just some events where you look at them in the cold light of a post-pandemic world and go, I'm not quite sure why you exist or what value I get out of you. Yeah, half of the time, Ether is a great example, isn't it? You know, you've got a trillion dollar industry and you you think it should have some sort of like annual get together and sort of a launch platform and that sort of stuff. But it's just the reality of the world that, you know, gaming began moving too fast for itself. And that's why I think E3 sort of stumbled. And also, it you know, it, it just matured, I think, is a sort of interesting phrase to use it. And so the reasons why a lot of people sort of went there before, which was like, seed, let's say, seedier than the average bear, um, just didn't 
feel right anymore. And I think, you know, you, they could have changed it. Um, and certainly, mm. you know, in the future they might. But certainly with like e-gaming, you look at those and, it, you know, E3 could be sort of like the past and the e-gaming tournaments, that's the future really. Because you look at those and they're like 10 times the size of it. Can They can be with E3. E3 was massive in LA, wasn't it? But um, you've got some uh, competitions where you've got hundreds of thousands of people, you know, flying drones and that sort of stuff. It's nuts. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. But, um, I, I, but yeah. I, I think with something like E3, you know, those big set piece events, you know, and the, the same in production industry and AB, IBC, and you look at the spend on some of those stands, which are, you know, a, a seven figure spend yeah. to have your stand and have your space and have all your people on there. And then just think what you could do with production, live streaming something for a million pounds. Yeah. And you kind of go, actually, I can do something bespoke, much more engaging to your audience much bigger audience because they don't have to all get into hall g somewhere in uh, san francisco and and i think that's the interesting conundrum for people is how much is that that physical being in the same place important yeah. versus what you can do with the spend yeah and you mentioned the m word there so uh, let's talk about the future of events the metaverse as it were um how do you think brands uh, that come to you are thinking about the future when it comes to sort of events and live streaming is their head on straight do they need inspiration or do, do they sort of don't really know what's out there i i think they're all on a different curve uh point of the curve i think i think some are just actually dipping their toe in after the pandemic particularly things on on things like social streams um i think some have been doing it so long they are now looking to really shake up what they do very well um i think the interesting thing is there is always something new coming in streaming after 20 odd years so you know at the moment we're looking at shoppable live that's mm. launched on tiktok over here um, I'm currently looking for people to pilot it on Twitter in the UK. And so I think there's a really interesting um, change. And I think, you know, however you view what the metaverse is, I think things like shoppable live retail is something that's worth, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars this year in China alone. It'll be worth 11 billion this year in the US. And that's only the beginning. And yeah. so I think it's almost people seeing, you know, retailers seeing that as the next challenge and really going, okay, how do I present myself here? You know, because TikTok is influencers selling you a new mouse or a new hat or a new skirt. So mm. how does how does a big brand engage with that where you've got influencer style almost directly opposed to brand control and style? So I think that will be... That'll be one of the questions coming up for live streaming is about how do you how do you engage with these new formats, these new forms? I think the metaverse is an interesting one. I, I, I think the thing that I feel that lots of people seem to have missed entirely in terms of metaverse discussions is the relatively small number of headsets that are out there that can run anything decent. You're probably talking 35, maybe 40 million yeah. worldwide and so i think that this kind of vr vision of we're all going to be wearing our headsets and doing our work and being in our virtual office and and streaming a movie in with friends i think is so far away from from the day-to-day -day. i think what it is that the very early roots of it which i found very interesting are very high value customers 
So I've seen a couple of events which have used where the customers have been, you know, investors or customers have been sent a head a branded headset each, Quest each. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> they've been sent a link and they have been seeing live 360, you know, so VR video feeds um, of a plant they've invested in or a site that is being built. And then laid on top of that are avatars of people who are on site. So I can I can wander over to that conveyor belt there, and the avatar there is a person who runs that segment of the factory or the the uh, uh, the the site, and they can explain to me what's going on. So for, so for those people, that's a very high end investor pitch. It's easy to send them a quest and set up something quite elaborate, but how you then take that mass market means a needs a massive adoption of kind of devices even in the next three four years i don't i don't see that happening yeah no i think it's certainly going to be a challenge i know meta is obviously coming out with um new headsets next year uh, that is the rumor um but yeah the increase in what 80 four years has been about 75 percent. so even that number um that you mentioned earlier which is around what i saw was was seeing isn't exactly skyrocketing and you would think during a pandemic that number would have exploded i think it was physically just people didn't sort of want to buy things they were a little bit scared and but even now when they may have a little bit of money or they're sort of you know sat on it or they're spending it on holidays that that sort of boat has sort of sailed a little bit as well i'm intrigued to sort of see where the vr world sort of goes because you do have those moments where you can sort of go to the travis barker concert in Fortnite or something like that and you can kind of see where the metaverse could go you know you've got like planets or ariana grande and that sort of thing you can see where if when creatives meet technology that those things can become much bigger than actually what they are they feel bigger they mm-hmm. just are bigger and it, it you know it's a, the truly immersive experience you know, ultimately, I don't particularly want to hang from a ceiling in a haptic suit that sort of punches me in the gut when somebody nudges me because I'm in a concert. That's not where I'm wanting for. But I do see there's a sort of like happy medium in the middle. And I think that the AR glasses that the companies are sort of building could give that. What's your view on the AR glasses? Um, obviously, Amazon Meta, Facebook, they're all working on. Snap's probably going to do the R&D for all of them. Um, do you think we're going to be attending conferences when we're in line for a Starbucks? Or do you think AR is going to be more practical more directionally type stuff yeah i i I think to begin with it's it's going to be more uh directional more navigation more more overlay on the real world if you will but i think there is going to be a place where we are beginning to stream content in there you know um streaming on the tube you know the number of people who are watching netflix just having that run through your glasses but i think again with that it's such a simple um interface because you are just looking at a screen does that become eye tracking for interaction? What you, mm. what I don't think you want to do is kind of have a new AR tech and actually be a worse experience than I can have watching something on my phone because I only need to look down to use my phone. In terms of the growth of the metaverse, just just another point about platforms. I think one of the most interesting announcements, metaverse-like announcements over the last three months, is um, electronic arts declining to take up the fifa license with fifa for the next oh that's right that came out didn't it yeah yeah but their plan is to build ea football whatever it ends up being called but they view that much more as a metaverse than anything else so they view that as a Fortnite. 
they view that as a place where people will go and consume content and play the game and and everything else within there so they are you know talking about streaming content into there they're talking about you know so you can play the the el classico and then you can watch el classico afterwards um so i think that that's a fantastic experiment into how you build one of those places from scratch because let's be honest fortnite and roblox started out as games platforms and kind of yeah. evolved into the metaverse this is the first one I, I can remember where the full intent from the very beginning is we are building a metaverse from scratch and we know we have a captive audience around the world who want to play our game so what else can we do with that mm. i kind of like the idea of sort of people um, so Zuckerberg came out and did his whole we are meta, we are the metaverse, meta mates and all of that sort of thing. And it was very lofty and it was his vision and I get that. And that video was sort of poo-pooed by a lot of people. And then he came out with the other one, which hasn't been seen nearly as much, um, where he and a colleague um, were just literally talking to the um, system and creating a sort of environment that they were in. And that I felt was more sort of in line with a how people think and sort of move but also when you see what they were presenting at the beginning which was literally a recreation of an office which was you know fine it just bugs me no end that that's where people start with you know whether it would go like well where's your office today You're like i'm in the clouds or like i'm in the old um what do you call it athenian city of you know x and that sort of stuff the creativity that I think metaverses are going to allow really is going to stretch a lot of companies to sort of figure out what their conferences can and should be or events, you know, and that sort of stuff. But I think the the biggest issue is going to be interoperability. So are these things going to work together? Does it mean that I have to have one account? Is it going to be, you know, all encompassing? Because the issue I think um, EA is going to find is like, yeah, you've got all your football nuts, but they were yours to begin with. It's sort of like, yes, yes. you've moved them onto something else, but how do you grow that? You know, that's that's where I'm sort of intrigued for a lot of different people. Do you think... Sorry, okay. I was just going to say, I, I think the interoperability of, of kind of any VR thing is a really big ask at the moment. You know, if you have something on Quest, how do you get it onto a PlayStation VR? Or you don't, yeah. that's a closed system. And I, I think what, what would be a huge leap in the VR sphere is the ability to run it on a device that's not a headset. So if I'm doing something in VR, what's the f app experience on my phone or on my desktop? because I'm not always going to be within reach of a VR headset. And I think if yeah. someone could crack that, where there's a sort of dumbed-down version that will work when you're on the move on your phone, I think that could open up a a lot of doors because it would allow people to experiment with it and then go, oh, actually, I want the headset. And the problem is with VR, and selling headsets is difficult because the best way to convince someone to buy a VR headset is to put a VR headset on them. Yes, experiencing the thing you're trying to get them to buy usually helps, doesn't it? And that's why I'm sure they've opened their stores in New York. Definitely not other yeah, reasons, absolutely. for sure. Um, it's kind of interesting, I think, when when I think of the, the visors and the goggles that are obviously got to come for the next sort of layer of computing, I start to think about, oh, well, it knows what level I look at or like where I'm at and that sort of thing. And, I, and if if we're smart about those things, then we can create a bespoke experience for everyone anywhere they are at any time so we'd know if we're on the train you would be looking maybe at the floor and it could create a stage where you're looking at someone and that sort of stuff i think we are decades away from that technology obviously you know because it needs a good signal strength and whatnot but i definitely see a lot of potential there for the creative uh, world to really sort of 
lead the way and lead the path a lot of what i've seen thus far has been a little bit gimmicky um when it comes to vr events and that sort of stuff but half of the time it's literally oh there's your live streaming box in the middle and these these things don't do anything but don't they look great which is fine you know that's an experience but i'm intrigued to see where we can push it and that for me is you know what gets me excited about events and that sort of thing i'm intrigued as well to talk about um to talk to hundo um careers later in the season they're helping um young people build careers and new business models in the metaverse Do you think, you know, the new business models for events and that are going to, you know, you might work for your ticket somehow or something like that? Can you see that, you know, in the next 10 years, say? Yeah, I think I think you can. I think you can begin to see the roots of that kind of a being to evolve. I, I, I think if we all knew how the metaverse would develop uh, with any degree of certainty, we'd all be sitting uh, on a beach in Bali counting our money at this point. I think it'll be a lot of experimentation. I think it'll be a lot of false starts. And I think there's some interesting stuff to be done about you know we're, we're reimagining events as we speak at the moment we're trying to work out the balance between uh virtual and real world and i think this is just another layer on top of that it will lead to five or six years of constant evolution and i think lots of people at the moment are trying to pilot things to better understand what works for their audience so let's let's have our real world event but let's do something small over here which is more interactive or very different and then let's genuinely look at the data and work out what works and i think that's the only way we can begin to involve that and that's about formats of the show the way people engage who engages where and i think i think the wise people are kind of going okay i've got this smaller show what can i play around with with that get some solid data and then roll it out to a bigger show next year Oh God, that's depressed me no end because that just means it's going to be Coca Cola and Diageo that just that that sort of depend on the future for us all. But anyway, I guess <laughs> who knows? Maybe yes. I'm just being cynical. Um, well, Diageo's Diageo's virtual reality experiments I find interesting because it lacks the key thing they need, which is a drink in people's hands. So I'm, I'm I watch with interest on how they're going to develop that those concepts. Yeah, I, I got to, um, now I might be speaking badly. I think it was Diageo. They sent me a box during lockdown and it was how to make a cocktail using AR in your phone. And actually that experience was pretty good because it was, you know, it literally visualized the ice that I had in my glass and it measured the the size so that it wouldn't dilute too much and that sort of thing. So it's quite interesting. They they'd spent a lot of time thinking about it. Obviously it killed the planet getting it to me, but that's fine. But it was um, an interesting experience. So that again, that's why I see AR as being this sort of like interesting sort of layer, which I don't think many people are thinking of. They're going straight to VR or metaverse. You go, yeah, they, they definitely can work, but I think you've got, uh, you've got that halfway house as well, but we need those bloody goggles. So could people please uh, start releasing them? That would be great. Yes. Um, yeah. As soon as possible. please. Yeah. As soon uh, as possible. That'd be great. I'm ready for them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, folks, uh, we end as ever with Desert Island Tweets, the part of mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that's changed their mind uh, in some way or in some thinking. Um, we've had some interesting ones recently. Um, but yeah, turn your attention uh, if you're listening live to The Nest. And there is a tweet by uh, Richard K. Herring, who is a comedian. Uh, and you can follow him at Herring1967. Uh, and the tweet reads, International Women's Day? When are we going to get an International Men's Day on November 19th? Hope that answers your question. Jake, why did you pick this one? <laughs> so th this may seem slightly strange. So Richard Herring, um, that is the first time he he put a tweet out about uh, International Women's Day. And every year since, he has spent the entirety of International Women's Day um, searching uh, Twitter for men who go, well, why isn't there an International Men's Day? And pointing out to them for 24 hours 
that there is and it's the 19th of November. And by doing so, he has raised a vast amount of money. So my, the reason why this tweet always makes me laugh and always inspires me, and he's actually written a book about it recently, is out of sometimes the morass of negativity that can be Twitter, where you have to say one thing and then get massively shot down. He has gently shot these people down, raised a vast amount of money for uh, women's charities like uh, Shelter as well, uh, and also men's mental health charities. And I just always find it inspiring. And every day when he ramps up to do it and he raises tens of thousands of pounds, it always puts a smile on my face and thinks, how can you deal with the negativity that's sometimes out there in a different way to turn it into something good? love that okay and then the second one uh is a tweet by vents magazine you can follow them vents magazine uh, just vents magazine um and it reads andrea bocelli music for hope streaming worldwide exclusively on youtube from the duomo am i saying that right in milan yep. on easter sunday uh, and then link tell me why you picked this one so uh so this is a project we worked on for full disclosure but this huge is the pluggery <laughs> yeah, huge pluggery absolutely but i think this for me encapsulates how important some of the things can be content wise for people so this is the first tweet from a, a account that has about ninety thousand followers about a live stream we did from a deserted duomo just as we went into milan uh, just when we went into lockdown from milan showed empty cities around the world this content was viewed about 44 million times on youtube currently but it was also syndicated around the world on tv so the total audience for it i believe is just over three billion so I'm never going to beat that as a, a, a score. But everybody who viewed that as we were going into that desperate time has something to say about it. Everybody who saw it. I had a client who said to me, I listen to that every single day to remind me it's going to be okay for the first oh, six wow. months of lockdown. And and just the feedback from that. But it was almost like that tweet is, is on a relatively small account. And it's just the idea of from that really small first tweet, an audience of three billion grew. For me, it's about one of these things that we do can be really meaningful to our audience for a lot of different reasons. But two, from from if you can capture the zeitgeist within the world or even just a small group, you can really communicate a lot with them. Um, and so that's why I picked that. Yeah, it was a beautiful concert. I can't. I remember you telling me about the case study afterwards, and it was. Um, insane the level of stuff that you had to go through in order to do it not just security but obviously covid protocols and that sort of stuff but um yeah incredible work it really was um i let that pluggery go through normally i'm, I'm thank you on that you're welcome <laughs> all right uh that is a wrap on another episode of season four uh my thanks to jake ward for making the future of video streaming and events a lot clearer i certainly have got uh, a good idea of where i think things are sort of landing now um follow jake on twitter and you can find out more about groovy gecko over at groovygecko.com. any final words of advice for listeners jake when it comes to events i think my final words would be look at what you're trying to achieve with your audience and start with a blank sheet of paper you, to your point paul about doing the same old thing in the metaverse i don't think that's going to cut it for very much longer so start with a blank sheet of paper understand what you want to get across and build something new mm. 
Excellent, excellent. Okay, up next on Mouthwash is the gent who gives mega job platform indeed the right information and knows what way the wind is blowing when it comes to job hunting. Dr. Powell Adrian is going to be telling us how to land your next job and a lot more besides. Head over to mouthwash.norby.live and you'll get a text so you don't miss a minute. Mouthwash is produced by Suze and the big team at Big Tent Media. Use them for all your audio needs. A big shout out to, to the amazing folks over at Workplace for Meta for sponsoring the show. The easy to use features make work feel more familiar as well as helping everyone work together in new ways and that's no bad thing visit workplace.com forward slash human you'll discover more that's workplace.com forward slash human as always everything mouthwash even the text alerts can be found over at our site mouthwashshow.com i'm a firm believer you don't remember the days you remember the moments and i hope this has been one for you i'm paul armstrong this is mouthwash listening again soon for more fresh chat that leaves you feeling more confident thanks for listening to mouthwash please share it in a network you trust and check out our sponsors Season 4 of Mouthwash was sponsored by Workplace by Meta. The easy-to-use features at Workplace help people work together in new ways. To make your place of work a great place to work, visit workplace.com forward slash human. That's workplace.com forward slash human. Have a great day.